0: 1 Corinthians 10. Um, you know, we, we, want to, um, we want to move on beyond talking about faith and singing about faith and reading about faith to stepping out and living by faith and laying hold of uh, the tangible, experiencing the results of living by faith. Uh, you know, I I don't want to just stay talking about it. You know, and and we're you know everyone in here, we've all made progress, and you know everybody it always has some kind of a testimony to share of, of God's favor or blessing or increase. Uh, you know, so we're we're all making progress. But what I'm trying to say is, it's a big mistake to assume that every Christian has faith and that uh, that everyone has developed their faith and because you've got five books on faith and three CD sets on faith and you've been to a faith seminar, that you got it. And that, that we don't need to hear this anymore, you know? Uh, that That is not the case, and that is a big mistake. Uh, so, we 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 want to move on, you know. We want, it's kind of like, um, you know, when I was in high school, I took driver's education, and part of the class was classroom. You sit in the classroom, and, and you go through the book, and it, it's the academic side. But if all I ever did was just read a book on driving a car, I never would have gotten very far. I had to to step out and I had to go get in the car and put into practice what we learned in the classroom. And these meetings are classroom time where we we learn about faith and we we learn the principles of faith, but just listening to it and just reading it uh, is not the same as living by faith. You know, we've got to begin to put this into practice in our everyday lives. So, um, you know, that, that's where we want to move on to. Uh, I heard um, one faith preacher once say, um, someone came to him and said, would you go pray for this lady? She was a Christian. And um, they said, she's got lots of faith. Would you go pray for her? She's sick. And after going to her and talking to her for a few minutes, he realized she had no faith for healing. She, she had lots of faith for other things, but in the area of faith, she had no faith. And he could tell that after just a few minutes of talking to her. So so we, we may be highly developed in our faith in some areas, but... Not be developed in our faith in other areas. And what we want to get to is where we're developed in, in every faith. So faith is rare and it's precious and it's our most valuable asset, but we can't assume that we've got it all. And that because we've heard you know some some very good teaching from some very good preachers in our generation you know, that, that we've got it all. We need to continually examine our heart and say, are we really in faith in this area, you know, that we're, that we're believing for? So but it's because we live in an environment that's saturated with unbelief and fear. We live in that kind of environment, and it's very subtle. And if you just relax for a few minutes, you'll flow right into that fear and unbelief, And nobody else will even notice it, you know, and you may not even notice it for a while. But when you stand up and say something in faith, everybody stands up, you know, and looks around because that's foreign to them. They're not used to hearing things like that. And and even some Christians, it's foreign to them if they haven't been taught the faith principles in the Bible. So, so when, when, uh, you know, when you're surrounded by, uh, you know, adversity and challenges and trials, uh, and you're standing against things, and and your body will say, well, why don't you feel and see if you're healed? And and your bills are sitting there, you know, talking to you. And, uh, you know, uh, what's all this about? It's about the devil trying to get you over into the physical realm, what you see, what you hear, what you feel, uh, trying to convince you that your faith is not working. And he's trying to uh, get you to give up. That's what it's all about. So what does the devil tell us we're supposed to do about this? What does the Bible say? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the word of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ or to the obedience of God's Word. So the solution is get in the Word and get in faith. Amen? Faith is bold, it's courageous, and it's strong. It is not wimpy. It's not arrogant either. It's not ego some, some, some people accuse us of being arrogant and, and we're just on an ego trip. No, they, they don't know what they don't know the difference between faith and ego. But faith is not arrogant, but it's confident and it's bold and it's strong. Amen. So First Corinthians 10, uh, let me get back over there. Let's start with uh, verse 1. It says, moreover brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Let's go down to verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition. So why were these things written about the Israelites in the Old Testament? Why were those things written for us? Why has this been recorded for us? <laughs> Examples. Amen. For our admonition. For our admonition. And the word admonition has two components. Warning and instruction. It's actually And the literal Greek translation is warning through teaching and instruction. That's what admonition means. So, the word examples here, that's not exactly a word we use anymore. It's an old, uh, you know, old English word. But in my uh, Bible over in the uh, margin, it says types. Uh, Types. Or a copy it also means a copy or a pattern uh, or a model so so uh, these these Israelites in the Old Testament were an example for us or a copy or a model um, what examples of what? we are to do, examples of what we're not to do, examples of faith and examples of unbelief. So these have all been recorded for us for our instruction and our warning. So let's go over to Numbers 13. If you wanna give this a title, you can call it Entering the Promised Land. Numbers thirteen one, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to give it to them. He said, I'm giving them. I give them. So Moses chose 12 men. Each of these men were leaders of thousands of people. And he said, go survey the land. And God had already told Moses that he was going to deliver his people out of Egypt for the express purpose of bringing them into this land. It's a land that God had personally handpicked just for them. God said, this land is not like the one you just left in Egypt. The one in Egypt, it was not your land. It belonged to somebody else. You had to hold water to, to, to water your crops. You ha- it, was, it was toil. Uh, he said, this land, I'm going to bring rain. I'm going to bring just the right amount of rain at just the right time. I'm going to give just the right amount of sunshine at just the right time. It's got forest and vineyards and streams, and you're not going to be working for somebody else. It's going to be yours. So what is this a type of? It's a type of our promised land. If they had a Canaan land in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, we have a Canaan land under the New Covenant. And just like God had a better place provided for them other than the wilderness, God has a better place provided for us other than the wilderness. This is not a type of barely getting by from paycheck to paycheck. That's not what this land is describing. The plagues on Egypt, the the splitting of the Red Sea, the water out of the rock, God flew in quail without an airplane every day. All of this was leading up to them going into this land. So God said it was good send some men over there, go bring back some samples. Find out who's there and what's there. All they knew was that God said it was good and it was theirs. That, that's all they knew. Verse, let's go over to verse 23. And they came unto the brook of Eskel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. Now for Israel, the promised land was a geographical location. There are some who say the promised land is a type of heaven. Well, that, that couldn't be a type of heaven because we have no enemies in heaven. And um, we, there are no giants in heaven. So we, that couldn't be talking about heaven. The enemies of our faith are down here right now. This is where our enemies are. And our promised land is a type of abundant living that belongs to the obedient now in this lifetime. That's our promised land. And our promised land has been given to us through New Testament promises obtained for us by Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection and and better promises uh, than the old covenant had. So we also have to enter into... Uh, our promised land by faith in order to take possession of what's rightfully ours. So we have to possess by faith what grace has already provided for us. Now, verse uh, 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Now I wouldn't be surprised if they hung these uh, grapes up somewhere. And had everybody fall by and walk past and see all, see these grapes. There were hundreds of thousands of people. They probably had them fall by and look at these grapes. And you know the, the, they got excited when they saw these. And they, you know, their, their spirit began to rise up and faith began to rise. And they began to say, wow, look at that. You know, let, Let's go. Let's, I'll take some of that. Let's go right now and get it. What are we waiting for? Verse 28, nevertheless, nevertheless, it's a good land, and here is the evidence, just like God said, we, we confirmed everything God told us, nevertheless, now that's a word we don't use much today either, um, when you hear nevertheless, or but, it's good, but, what you're about to hear next is probably not going to be a statement of faith, you know? So today, we wouldn't say, nevertheless. It's good and it's large, but it's just like God said, however. The message translation says, we went to the land to which you sent us and oh, exclamation mark. It does flow with milk and honey, exclamation mark. Just look at this fruit, exclamation mark. The only thing is, <laughs> the only thing is the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, <laughs> that's, not, that's not the worst part. Worse yet, we saw descendants of the giant Anak. What would we say today? That's a beautiful house. The only thing is, did you see the price tag? <laughs> That's the perfect car for our family. But did you see the price tag? That's what we would say today. Now, Deuteronomy 6 gives us a more detailed uh, description of this land. It talks about great and goodly cities that you did not build. Houses, plural. Filled with all good things. Wells you did not dig. Vineyards you did not plant. Today, we would say houses you did not build. Swimming pools you did not dig. And uh, gardens you did not landscape. Somebody else did all the hard work and they got it ready for you and you just moved in. Amen? Um, Now, I can tell when I say that somebody's already thinking too much that's just too much but i didn't say that god said it uh, let's say that together too much too much once more too much too much uh i know mika's just you know moved into guilford uh into a new flat and she took uh, her daughter separately to look at it. She didn't want one to influence the other. So she took one separately and she took another separately, you know, to get their ideas about it. And uh, after she had taken them on separate occasions, one of them said, well, yes, Mom, it's beautiful and you deserve it, but <laughs> it's too much, you know? So, um, Anyway, she, she got it. Praise God. But what I'm trying to say is everybody has a choking point. You know, everybody has a choking point. God's able to get us a Ford or a Vauxhall, you know. Uh, but is that as good as God can be? He's able to get us a one or two bedroom flat where we can meet the payments. Is that as good as God can be? And when I start saying Lexus, Mercedes, debt-free, owning a whole estate of houses where people pay you to live there, it gets quieter and quieter in here, doesn't it? (laughs) You know what I mean? So when you start talking like this to other Christians who haven't been taught this, sometimes they will try to hide their lack of faith by saying things like, well, you know, those things are really not important to me. And, um, you know, I don't really think God's interested in things like that. Well, that's very convenient because they don't have to use their faith. It's false humility with this attitude that I'm more spiritual than you are. And they're implying that you should be more like them. And they'll try to make you feel guilty for for believing for God's best. If, it, if this was not important to God, why didn't he leave the Israelites in the wilderness? They had the basics of life there. They had food and water. Wasn't that good enough? No, he didn't want them to stay there. Actually, if you go ahead and read the rest of this story, he got very angry because they refused to leave there and go to the abundant land he had already provided for them. So, So he had already provided a land of too much. Let's say that together. Too much. Amen. Amen. So we need to stop looking at the price tag and start looking at and meditating on what the Word says. This same group of people in Psalm 78, they said, Can God provide a table in the wilderness? He brought water out of a rock. Can he also provide uh, meat? and bread. And it says they limited the holy one of Israel. How did they do it? With their words. It was too much. They they had already seen water coming out of rock, but can God provide bread and meat as well? God's ability is not in question. God's ability is not in question. Our faith is what's in question. Our faith or lack of it is what puts the limitations on God. There is no limitation on God. They said this land is good and it's ours. Yet hundreds of thousands of people refused to believe it. Now Paul said um, these things were our examples. Are there Christians today Refusing to believe how good God is. Yeah. So good that they've decided it's too good to be true. Not only that, they're quick to be, uh, believe lies that somehow it's God's higher purpose for them to be sick uh, when they've already been redeemed from sickness. They believe lies about suffering financial hardship is somehow developing holiness and piety in them. And when they hear healing is already ours and abundance is already ours, millions of church-going people who are saved and going to heaven will tell you that you are in (coughs) error. Because we believe that life in Christ is a good land, And it flows with milk and honey now in this lifetime. We are considered to be extreme. But we're in good company. Because Jesus was extreme. For his day, he was extremely extreme compared to the self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees. People that came to hear him preach and teach, they said, he doesn't teach like those other people do. <laughs> so he was extreme. He definitely departed from the ordinary. And today, Jesus and Paul would probably not be welcomed in a lot of churches because they would be considered to be too much and too extreme. But Jesus said in John 10:10, amplified, I have come that you have and enjoy life and have it in abundance, to the full, till it overflows. That sounds like a land flowing with milk and honey to me. Amen? So Jesus didn't say, I came that you might suffer. He didn't say, I, I came to take, uh, you know, that did you have to suffer things that you've already been redeemed from? He took all the curse on himself so we would not have to suffer. That's what most of the Bible is all about our suffering there is a suffering for the believer but our suffering is not suffering what Jesus has already redeemed us from our suffering is talking about persecution that's the suffering of the believer Uh, Paul said yea all that live a godly life will suffer persecution so um You know, we we can expect to be persecuted somewhere down the line. If you go all out for God, you will suffer persecution in some form. It doesn't necessarily mean burning at the stake or firing squad, but there are a lot of different uh, degrees and forms of persecution. Jesus said um, over in Mark 4, referring to the hundredfold return now in this lifetime, he said, houses lands, brothers, children, with persecutions. So when you begin to walk in the hundredfold return and the Lord begins to increase you in material blessings, your persecution is going to increase. But Jesus warned us in advance, so don't get shook up about it. And I guarantee you the majority of people that will persecute you will be other Christians. They're going to call you greedy, carnal, and selfish. So this lamb was so good, they choked on it. And every time they ran into some resistance, they decided that it wasn't for them. So we have to be persuaded that uh, this is good and this is mine. Whatever God has promised us in the word, it's good and it's mine. And it's God's will for me to have it. Now, verse uh, 28. Nevertheless, but, however, all the good things they've said about the land up till now don't matter anymore. Verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites. All the ites are there. They're already living there. They're big, they're mean, and they're everywhere. There are uh, points in the fight of faith where it's crucial. Uh, When you first hear a negative report, when you first hear a negative report, your mind will be bombarded with fear and all kinds of negative emotions coming at you. And the first words out of your mouth can either make it or break it. You can either win the battle right there or you can lose the battle right there. I remember um, when they phoned Greg late at night about his father and said he's got a 50-50 chance to live, totally unexpected. And actually it wasn't even 50-50 because 80% of those people don't uh, survive that. And they they phoned him and suddenly all these emotions and fears starts coming at your mind. What's the first thing that came out of your mouth, Greg? He won't die and live and the world like the hospital. Yeah. 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 And he (laughs) did. Yeah. And that doctor kind of laughed, you said, didn't he? he? He laughed at you when you said that. But he wasn't laughing a few weeks later when he walked out of there, because they had initially said he'd be in the hospital about six months, didn't they? Yeah. about four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't laughing when he walked out of that hospital. But the first words that come out of your mouth are critical. That's not the time to just say, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Or the first thing that flashes across your mind. It's time to check your spirit. It's time to check your spirit. And if you don't know what to say, don't say anything till you know what to say. So, God is faithful. We're going to trust God. He'll show us the next step. He'll show us what to do. He'll show us what to say. Amen? He's got us through scrapes before, and He'll do it again. So we've got to choose to believe. At at that point, we got to choose to believe and not fear. And when everybody else around you is falling apart, God needs somebody who will stay in faith and be in faith. Uh, And that somebody has got to be you. That somebody's got to be you. In times of crisis, your mind will fail. Your mind cannot handle all this it's that's coming at you. And actually, it's not designed to handle it. Your mind is designed to back up and get out of the way and say, okay, spirit, it's yours. You, you take over. That's really what happens. And if you put the word of God in your spirit on a regular basis, you'll know what to do and you'll know what to say. But if you all of your spirit's got in it, is pop idol and Coronation Street it ain't going to know what to do it's going to fail it's going to fail it, it, it will it'll throw up its hands too so verse 28 uh, nevertheless the people be strong that dwell in the land the cities are wall and very great and moreover we saw the children of Anak there So their refusal to believe this good report is, uh, and how faith in God is where it all went wrong. Actually, they went on to say in verse 32, uh, they brought up an evil report. They say the land which we have gone to eats up the inhabitants thereof. In other words, this is not the land that flows with milk and honey. This is a land where we die. And, and they despised what God had said about it, and they despised what God was giving them. Now, in the next chapter, four, verse uh, chapter 14, it says, this was the tent major time these people had tested and provoked God on this journey. And the number 10 in the Bible symbolizes several things. It symbolizes testimony. It can also represent uh, responsibility and authority. Uh, It is regarded as a complete number along with 3, 7, and 12. So it's, it's a number of completion, so to speak. You have 10 fingers and 10 toes. That's a complete number. Not a mistake, not an accident. So God said to these people, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with this group. This is it. This is the last straw. I'm finished. Why? Because God wasn't merciful or long-suffering? Of course not. I mean, he was very merciful. He was very long-suffering with these people. I mean, boy, did they put him to the test. But he he was very long-suffering and merciful. And whether they tested him 10 times, 25 times, or 80 times, the thing is, God knew... They were always going to react the same way. They were never going to change. And that's why he said, this is it. I'm putting a time limit on this, and I'm not going any further. He could have gone on with them 10 more years, and he knew they were never going to change. This is why there is no salvation for Satan. He is never going to change. We don't know how long he's been here. We have record of him since Genesis, but we don't know really how many thousands of years he's been around. He's had thousands of years to change and to repent, and he's never done it, and God knows he's never going to do it. That's why he is sentenced to eternal damnation. So those that reject him, the people that reject him, this is why God's going to have to do what he does in Revelation, those people are going to be sentenced the same sentence with the Satan that they follow because they will never change. And God knows at what point in a person's life they are never going to change. Now, I don't know that point in a person's life and you don't know that point in a person's life but God knows that point when, when, when they're never going to change. And, you know, at the very end, those are going to be the people who, everybody, everybody's going to have opportunities. Everybody's, these people had many opportunities. The devil has had many opportunities. You know, every person is going to have many opportunities. And those people left at the end are the people that have not changed in all this time. And God knows, They're not going to change. So God is a God of mercy, but he's also a God of justice. Uh, And and, uh, he knows they're not going to change, so he he has to sentence them with their God that that they followed. And what if God said, oh, well, never mind. You know, they can't help it. Uh, Just forget it. You know, let's just sweep this all under the carpet. Just come on to heaven anyway. What would happen? It wouldn't be one hour till somebody would be leading a rebellion against God in heaven. And that's how this whole thing started. Lucifer led a rebellion in heaven against God. That's how the whole thing started. And God's already had to put down one and he is not going to put down another one. So that's why these, these people cannot allow, they will not be allowed to go to heaven because they are not going to start leading a rebellion up there. So this, this generation had many opportunities. And this negative report about the giants and the wall city, it was just like throwing a wet blanket on these people and just ex, like you would extinguish a fire all the faith and all the excitement all the hype uh, that they had been so excited about going there and had seen the fruit and everything. One minute they were filled with faith and excitement and as soon as they heard those words and that report, despair and discouragement just swept over that entire congregation. We've come all this way and now we're not going in. So sincere well-meaning people, including Christians, will come and try to talk some sense into you and tell you you better have some wisdom about what you're believing for. And it's just too much. It's too big to believe for. You can't get it. And you can't go there. You can't drive it. You can't live in it. Because it's too big for them. Because it's too big for them, They're going to try to tell you it's too big for you. So when you're believing for something and you start hearing words that rob you of your joy and your peace and you can tell the excitement's gone and the faith is gone and the peace and the joy is gone and the despair and the discouragement is beginning to come in, you need to go into resist mode. If you're in a private place and you can control it shut it off if you're uh, if you're not in a private place if you're out in public or you're in a group and you can't control it leave the room walk away shut it off everybody say shut it off off. off. one more time shut it (laughs) it off I remember when uh, Greg and Joanne were believing for their house. There were several times I remember Greg and I talking. And uh, they had some people coming against them, telling them, God's not going to do this for you. He doesn't do stuff like that. You're crazy, basically, didn't they? And and I remember saying, you're going to have to tell these people... This subject is not up for discussion anymore. I'm I'm not talking about this anymore. End End of story. We're not bringing this up anymore. Why? Because words matter. And words release spiritual forces. Words that will rob you of peace and joy and they will contaminate your faith. It only took two men with one report to infect hundreds of thousands of people out here. Just two men and one report is all it took. You cannot afford to listen to that. What about Eve in the garden? She was brilliant. Adam and Eve, uh, you know, in the image of God, they had the faith of God. They had the mind of God. They they had it all. (coughs) Why, did she, why was she even hanging around that tree talking to the devil? Why was she even... She got to hanging around that tree talking to the devil and they went down and consequently we all went down. She should have shut it off. Amen? She, 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 she didn't even need to be listening to the devil. Write this down. Reasoning is the part of the intellect that creates unbelief. Reasoning is the part of the intellect that creates unbelief. So when you start hearing these negative, people start coming at you with these negative words and and they're trying to throw the wet blanket over you and, and quench your faith, and and you, you sense your faith and excitement leaving, first of all, shut it off. Secondly, get you a faith buddy. Amen? And we all in here should be a faith buddy. Amen? <laughs> Somebody that will talk faith to you and remind you of the promises of God and remind you how good God is and remind you how God's come through for you time and time again. Or... You can do like David and encourage yourself in the Lord. (laughs) And there'll be times when you have to do that because there won't be anybody else around. But encourage yourself in the Lord. Verse 30, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. At first there was this atmosphere of excitement and joy among them when they heard this good report. And after the negative report, now there's rumbling throughout the congregation, and there's negative talk, and there's fear. And, and you know, you, you mean we're not going, and we've been through all this for nothing. And, and so Caleb had to quiet the people down, hush. And he said, let's go now and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now that's a different spirit from the other report. That's a different spirit. If they had gone in, if they had gotten up right then, like Caleb said, and gone in, I can guarantee you the fear of God would have fallen on those giants and those enemies over there. They would have dropped their weapons and they would have run off. They never would have had to shoot a bullet. They never would have had to throw a spear. The, the fear of God would have fallen on those people. And Joshua goes on to say in chapter 14, he said their defense is gone for them. They're a piece of cake for us. Don't fear. That's basically what he said. And we know from the story about Rahab when they they said the next time the next time they went to spy out a place uh, Jericho Joshua got wise and he remembered this first set of spies that were sent out. They were sent out publicly and they brought back a public report. This time he sent two. Was it two? I don't remember how many he sent. I don't remember how many spies he sent. But he sent them secretly. They went in secret and they came back and they brought a secret report. They didn't tell everybody. (laughs) So he said, I'm not making that mistake again. So so, um, and, and Rahab told, the, told them when she took them in her house, she, she said, people here are terrified of you. They've been hearing about you a long time. They heard about God with you and a cloud in the, uh, in the day before you and a uh, fire at night. They heard about you. We've heard about you crossing the Red Sea. People here are scared of you. They weren't, they weren't fierce and mighty. They were already shaking in their boots they could have taken them. They could have taken them immediately, but because they didn't go immediately, the 40-year delay gave the enemy time to prepare for them. They had a 40-year time of preparation to get ready for them coming. So they had a much more difficult battle. They did have to fight when they went in there because they were ready for them. How is it that Caleb went to the same place saw the same giants the same wall cities and had a completely opposite viewpoint of the same land he said we are well able let's say that together well able, well well able. one more time well, well able added. how is it that the two people can witness the same thing and have such totally complete opposite viewpoints well there are people who uh, worry a lot and they talk about their problems a lot and they look at other people uh, and they think man those people never go through anything i mean they just must float through life they never have any problems they never have any adversity No, that's not the case at all. Those people just don't talk about it all the time. (laughs) They just don't talk about their problems all the time. They have the same challenges. They go through the same things. They have a flat tire on their car just like other people do. They have to deal with flat tires. You know, they have to deal with taxes or whatever. Uh, You know, uh, Peter said, Our brethren all over the world are experiencing the same afflictions. So everybody is, is going through challenges and adversity. It's just that some people don't talk about it all the time. And some people, you don't even know when they're going through a test or a trial because they don't talk about it. When I first came here, nobody, until I started kind of giving my testimony, nobody knew I was, was, was having such a hard time. I didn't talk about it. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even want anybody to know I was having difficulties. And you couldn't tell by looking at me I was having dif- difficulties. So, so uh, you know, that's how you come up with two completely different viewpoints. We're all here going through the same challenges and problems. It's just that some people get into pity parties and feeling sorry for themselves and talking about it all the time and other people don't. That's the difference. So some people go round and round and round. So out here in, in this situation hundreds of thousands of people, they ganged up on Caleb and Joshua. I mean you're talking about outnumbered. They, they ganged up on them. Yet They did not allow those hundreds of thousands of people to contaminate their faith. And for 40 years, they did not allow those people to contaminate their faith. Now that was a job. That was a job. Now, this generation's unbelief, they did hinder and delay the whole group from going in. The whole group had to stay behind because of this one group's unbelief. So in that sense, Joshua and Caleb had to suffer the delay along with everybody else in the group, but their personal faith was never, they, they never allowed the fear and the negative talk and unbelief to contaminate their own faith. They were faith buddies. They, they reminded each other. You remember when we, we went over there. And you remember that, that land we saw near that mountain. That's going to be mine. I'm claiming that. I'm claiming that all oh, that land and that stream. They talked about what they saw. They, they reminded each other uh, and, and encouraged each other not to give up for 40 years. You want to talk about... You want to talk about, uh, you know, could they have quit during that time? Mm-hmm. Sure. W- what if they had gotten bitter and angry at this bunch over here that's holding everybody back and they're holding me back? <laughs> they're holding me personally back. i got to wait on this bunch. Uh, you know, what if they would have got bitter and angry about it? Their faith would have started going down the drain. That's what would have happened. They would have gotten depressed and they would have gotten frustrated, but they did not allow that to happen. So when somebody asks you how you're doing, you say, well able, amen? I am well able. That's gonna be our code for the day, amen? That's the, the faith buddy code for the day. I am well able. Now here in the classroom time, it's easy to say amen, But when you step out in faith and you start your own business or you, uh, you know, you start to walk out your own healing or you begin to pursue something in faith, the obstacles and unbelief of other people are going to come against you. But we're not going to allow it to contaminate our faith. Amen? So let's say this together. We are well able. We are well able. We have the same spirit of faith. We have the same spirit of faith as Joshua and Caleb. As Joshua and Caleb, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? Who strengthens me? I can learn anything I need to learn. I can learn anything I need to learn. I can develop any skill I need to develop. I can develop any skill I need to develop. I can receive anything I need to receive. I can receive anything I need to receive. Father, open my eyes. Father, open my eyes. To see things I have not seen. To see things I have not seen. In these examples. In these examples. I want to know. I want to know. Where I've been in unbelief. Where I've been in unbelief. I want to know, I want to know what real faith is. What real faith is. I'm your student. I'm your student. I'm your disciple. I'm your disciple. I ask you for it. I ask you for it. I believe I receive it. I believe I receive it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.